Welcome to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan. Each week, we explore the beliefs that shape our world. The lived experience of being part of a faith community sustained my family. For my parents, it was essential. Weekly worship and Sunday school ensured a link to culture, a sense of belonging, and grounding, especially important to them as young immigrants in the 1970s. Fast forward two generations. For me and my siblings and our children, Generation X, Millennials, and Generation Z, faith identity and community looks far different, and we're not alone. More and more Americans seem to be wandering away from organized religion, according to a 2022 study by Pew Research. 31% of Americans now are religiously unaffiliated, and that number has been steadily growing. Some suggest that that drift away from the traditional houses of worship reflects a dissatisfaction with the slow progress that many religious institutions are making when it comes to addressing and responding to changes in values in our secular culture. Others point to an overarching suspicion in our society of all institutions. Whatever the reason, things are changing. But the need for answering the big questions and finding meaning hasn't. This week, we're going to explore how some people are finding their way forward, finding answers to those big questions, and how belonging and identity are playing out with people of all ages, from young evangelicals and what their role might be in shifting divides, to aging Gen Xers. We start in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, where Valerie Luna Serrells of the Wild Church Network has gathered a congregation in the forest. Valerie, how long have you been a part of this group and how long have you all been gathering? Yeah, so I founded Shenandoah Valley Church of the Wild about five years ago. And um, we have been meeting monthly for those five years. Is this affiliated with a particular denomination? Do you all identify as Christian? Where, where do you fit in philosophically if we were to put some labels here? So the answer is yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my roots are in the Christian tradition. Um, but I have found myself always on the edges of whatever particular denomination that I have been part of um, in my life. Uh, but the Church of the Wild is not affiliated. This Shenandoah Valley Church of the Wild is not affiliated with any particular denomination. Describe to me the belief or identities that people bring who are choosing to join and gather with you. Yeah. It's been um, a beautiful exploration to see who shows up and what is co-created in this circle that we create with each other and with all the beings and growing things in Hone Quarry in the George Washington National Forest. And um, most of the people who show up have some background in the Christian tradition and are either still in in church but 
are seeking other ways of um, really living out their spirituality that is much more embodied and includes the natural world. And there are those who have already left the church, who have either been wounded or just doesn't feel relevant to their lives anymore. Um, there's some who come who are environmentally focused and that spirituality may not have been part of of their ecological awareness, but that they are seeking that interconnection as well. Mm. There are some who come who uh, are pagan. Um, this one gathering included several elderly people who were in their 80s, and one was an Episcopal priest. And he was there, and also uh, a couple of other elderly people, and a few in their in their 30s who were self-described as pagan or even heathen. And so we have these very different pathways of life and orientation and, you know, philosophy and spirituality coming together and finding common ground without even trying. Are there any rituals? Like, what does it look like and mean to show up and be a part of this network? Hmm. So we usually meet at Hong Quarry. It's a campground that has a day-use area that we uh, usually gather at. And so we meet on the banks of this creek, and we watch the changes in the trees and in the water around the, the cycle of the year. Sometimes it's rushing water, and we can barely hear each other talk. And sometimes it's just a trickle. This last time, you could walk across on the stones. And we take time, we meet in a circle, we sit in folding chairs around blankets, and we always begin with just orienting ourselves to where we are, to just fully arrive here and now, to begin to open our senses, our physical senses, our sight, our hearing, and the taste, to really become aware of where our body is in relationship to everything around us. And then we'll have some uh, basic introductions, and we'll almost always do a Seven Directions uh, prayer that my sister and I wrote from our own tradition. So we orient ourselves to this space and this time with a prayer to the Seven Directions. As most indigenous, nature-connected people share, including our own Celtic heritage, with respect for the people who have taught us to remember ourselves into our true community, into the place that we live, along with other, all the other creatures and beings who live among us, we enter into this prayer. We pray to the mystery of life, the creator, the source of all that is, who is within us and between us, with longing to connect what has been disconnected, to know our belonging in the community of all beings. We invite living presence from the four directions, from above, below, and within, with this prayer. I fully recognizing that four directions prayers are sacred to indigenous peoples. And so out of that awareness, we 
after doing a lot of research into my own Celtic tradition, wrote something that is more authentic to uh, our own lineage. And so that is really a recognition, and it's a noticing of um, the aliveness of everything, including the cardinal directions that were extremely important to our ancestors and that carry uh, both symbolic and real knowledge and wisdom. And so we face each of these directions and we just feel into um, the season that we are in and what that particular wisdom has for us. And then we'll, we'll sit back down and we'll um, have a time of talking and sharing around the time that we are in, the season that we're in. And then we'll go out for about a 30-minute silent wandering by ourselves. Mm. And the wandering is, again, a, a practice of learning to listen to your body. This is not an exercise in going from point A to point B. <laughs> It is a practice of listening to be drawn, to be wooed, to be um, called by something that maybe it's not just our physical senses are picking up on, but also our internal senses. Hmm. What is calling us? And we'll sit and we'll just listen. What happens next? And so then we'll be called back. And then we have about a 30-minute time of open sharing for people to just talk about what they witnessed or... um, what was moving in them, what they were noticing. And that's usually enfolds our time. And that's, we'll wind up ending it shortly after that. I'm curious, how do you manage when the weather changes? So we're fortunate that this particular campground has like a huge stone fireplace. So we have lots of fires in the winter and we just meet in this little enclosure um, that's open on all sides, but it's just somewhat protected from the elements. Mm. So go out and, and do a shorter wandering. If it's too cold, we'll just make it shorter. But just getting out, even as the weather changes, has something for us. Once you're out there, we are met. When you say you're met, what does that mean? We are met by the divine and just breaking away enough to have a space to... Um, to hear what is often covered up, what is often inaccessible in uh, our daily kind of lives. Um, But then the the magic is that it becomes integrated into the daily life because we are transformed. So it's, it's approaching the world as alive in every moment to always know that there is, that we are surrounded by intelligence, by love, by wisdom and that this is constantly being communicated through the elements. And so that being met is being met by what is showing up in that particular day or season or even moment. And to be able to carry that with us, it changes us. Mm. I'm curious about your background. What was your training? Like what led you to this place where you're leading this community? Is this what you'd always planned to do? Like, how did you find yourself here? Yeah, no, I would not have seen myself here. I I have a master's in conflict transformation and peace building and focused on restorative justice. I have five kids and that took up most of my 
my 30s and 40s and um, went back to school close to 50. So I worked in the um, environmental movement for about five years and quickly became disenamored and just felt drawn to a different way of entering into the the immediate urgency of the times that we are living in. So my theory of change changed about the same time as my discomfort of being part of traditional religion. I knew that something else was calling. So about the same time, my sister was also leaving the church and had started her Church of the Wild in California, where I'm from. And as I walked with her through that, I knew I wanted to do that here and so we started. Also around the same time, I, I just had a really big uh, awakening of sorts that came out of a time of a lot of suffering. And it was both physical and emotional and relational suffering. And out of that, something awakened in me around the um, reality of the full ecology of what it means to be human. And that included energy and so through a series of experiences that I had in nature and um, with the invisible world, it really awakened something of the mystic in me. And it kind of coalesced with a lot of other things that I was learning about um, the reality of the human and divine and the connection of our interdependence and the divinity that is within us. It opened me up, uh, kind of expanded beyond what I had known about myself in the world. These have been a few difficult years, and many are describing feeling a higher level of anxiety and worry about the world, whether we're talking about eco-anxiety, um, concern about political stability, conflict, suffering in all its forms. There is a general sense of unease. I want to ask you how your practice that's nature-based, that immerses yourself into, as you call it, the wild, how does that how does that help you? That's such a good question. Several things are arising when I when I hear this question. One of them is that the earth holds billions of years of wisdom. <laughs> And has witnessed so much change that we can't even fathom. The shifting of, you know, tectonic plates, the shifting of glaciers, mountains, um, the redistribution of land masses and water, um, catastrophes that we can't even imagine. And likewise, if we look back on our own species history, to see also how much we have witnessed and how much change we have been a part of. And I think a lot of the anxiety that we feel is, yes, very rooted in what we're seeing happening right now. And it feels like part of what this time is bringing forth is a way to integrate all of it. And that might sound like a whole mouthful, a whole too much for one person. And it is. But in relationship with the earth, the wisdom and just the solidness of um, 
so much ability to adapt and transform together with that we are not alone. We are not, I am not a solitary I. <laughs> so it's not about me carrying um, and transmuting or healing all of this. It's about me being open to allow it to happen through me. So it's trusting something greater than myself, which could be the earth, and it includes the earth, and it also includes spirit. It includes whatever that source of life is that expresses itself through everything, including me. And how can I, in the practices that are available to me, open myself enough to allow that to come to do its work through me? so that I become a vessel to do the work that needs to be done for the transformation of our own species. So it was such a rich, deep blessing to have them be with us, um, to bring their unique voice and song into this space. And so that was really most of the, most of our time was, was singing and just noticing the rhythms noticing the vibration of our own voices and noticing how um, we came together as one voice with all these different octaves or pitches or rhythms. Mm. So it was a beautiful new way to experience ourselves in relationship with each other and with the world around us. And so we brought this, this kind of new sound and um, set a new vibration you know, I mentioned to you in an earlier conversation that we're we were talking with a historian and learning a little bit more or rather revisiting some of that history that some of us may have forgotten about the transcendental movement. What does that bring up for you? Mm, there's this weaving I, that I just notice over time with different movements that pop up. I see maybe now what is emerging now through the wild church movement and through other environmentally aware spiritual ways is more of this embodied transcendentalism. So like fully bringing down the divine, bringing down the transcendence into the earth, into our bodies. And the two of these meeting in a new way that is actually also ancient so it feels like a continuation, maybe, of what we have seen and know about the transcendentalist movement um, that brings together different pieces that um, maybe weren't in awareness at that time. Mm. We are continuing to expand what the Wild Church Network has been to accommodate what it's wanting to be. And part of that is this interspirituality that we are seeing coming. And that is really exciting to me. The Wild Church Network has really been its own living organism. <laughs> the growth has been very organic. So everyone who comes who feels drawn into it, it, it changes it a little. So it's like this, it's this evolving organism that I'm just, I'm really in awe of. My name is Valerie Luna Serrells. I live in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. And I am the founder and guide of Shenandoah Valley Church of the Wild and a co-founder and director of the Wild Church Network.
Valerie Lunacero's journey from a more traditional worship experience to leading Church of the Wild is only one way to address discontent. Faith leaders are increasingly being challenged by the rigors of tending to the demands of their congregants and the external forces changing in our secular world. In 2022, a research firm that studies Christian cultural trends released a report finding that among pastors surveyed, nearly half considered quitting. Coming up after the break, my conversation with religion reporter Bob Santana, who tackles this question and more in his book, Reorganized Religion, The Reshaping of the American Church and Why It Matters. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Stay with us. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. 